Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Josh Garofalo, expert SaaS copywriter and founder of Sway Copy. We talked about how Josh became a SaaS-focused copywriter, his step-by-step process to create engaging copy, and his insights on why companies should focus on the one buyer segment that matters and ignore the rest. We also discussed how to identify your most valuable buyer persona, understanding your customers' awareness stages in their buying journey, and the interview techniques Josh utilizes to help companies improve their product positioning. Finally, Josh shared his thoughts on why he wishes companies spend more time thinking about churn and why talking to customers is the key to better product positioning. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode. And if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Andrew. I'm excited about this one. It's great to have you. So for the listeners, uh, Josh is the founder of Sway Copy and he's a SaaS copywriter and consultant. There's helped companies like HubSpot, Cisco, and Hotjar with copy that converts. Prior to founding Sway Copy, he was a marketing manager working at an intersection of marketing, customer success, and product management. So my first question for you, Josh, is why copy? Like what drove you to found Sway Copy? Yeah, it was, uh, as, as is the case for most copywriters, it was a bit of an accident. So like you had said, I was at a startup before and we were a team of, it ranged from four to six people. And so, as I'm sure you know, you've got to wear a bunch of different hats. So officially I was a marketer, but really I got involved in product and customer success. I even hopped on sales calls. And when it came to marketing, I didn't necessarily love all of my job. For example, I did not enjoy writing blog posts. I did not enjoy uh, social media marketing. But when it came to um, trying to figure out like the positioning of the company and coming up with uh, like a messaging strategy and copy uh, to, to attract the right customers, uh, I really enjoyed that part. And uh, I think it was through running into Joanna Weeb of copy hackers that I realized um, like copywriting isn't just a little piece of what marketers do. There's actually people who just focus on the positioning and the messaging of, of, of products. And once I found that out, I was hooked. I, uh, I started a little blog on the side at swaycopy.com because I was still employed and it was just going to be about me and my learnings about copywriting as it relates to SaaS because at that point, there weren't a lot of people talking about it um, in a way that was specific to SaaS. And so I did that. Some people 
inquired about whether or not I could write copy for them, even though I didn't have a company at this point, uh, named a price. They said yes. And I quit my job. And then I've been doing this since 2015. Very interesting. It's also interesting that you said you didn't enjoy writing blog posts, but then you switched to a career of just writing copy all the time as well. But <laughs> yeah, those are, they're completely different things as well. They are. And a lot of people don't see that. But uh, what I actually enjoy is I enjoy like sales and, and strategy behind it. I don't enjoy the act of writing. Like I'm never going to write a novel in my lifetime. I have no interest. Yeah. It's just I'm better at writing than I am at talking. And it's an important piece of the sales puzzle. And I enjoy it. And definitely like when you think about sort of positioning and messaging, like they are very, very strategic and a lot of research and development needs to go into really nail it. So uh, I see that. Um, mm -hmm. Cool. So uh, let's dive into things a little bit now in terms of like the context of churn and retention, because I think uh, this is one of those areas that's often like overlooked and it's the power of copy. Uh, and really, when you think about it, it's one of like the first touch points you get with your customers, whether it's an ad they see on Facebook or whether it's a landing page that they arrive on, uh, really getting that positioning right and making sure that you are able to articulate the value prop in a clear, succinct way is probably one of the first steps uh, to really nailing a retention strategy. So maybe you want to talk us through sort of like your process when it comes to uh, copy and how do you typically engage with customers? Yeah, so... Like you said, the, that is sort of the first gate that people have to go through. And what I'll often run into with clients, um, especially earlier uh, startups, which is the exact opposite of what they want to do, is they want to have this giant net that is somewhat appealing to a whole bunch of different people. And when you do that, you basically invite everybody into your, into your product, and into your sales funnel. And what happens is churn is the result. And the reason for that is your product, uh, as much as you want it to be the best thing for everybody is probably the best thing. I mean, if you're doing a good job of building a product in the first place, it's probably the best thing for somebody very specific. And so you're doing yourself a disservice by not having a very clear value prop that rules out, you know, like 90% of the people are going to hit your website and really appeals to that uh, specific type of customer that's going to log into the product, see it's exactly what they need. It solves their most important problems that they're experiencing right now. And they're likely to stick with the product, uh, sign up, buy, et cetera. So yeah. yeah, when it comes to my process, uh, it's speaking to a lot of customers. It's, um, and when I say speaking, it's not just casual conversations. It's more, uh, if you've heard of jobs to be done, it's along yeah. those lines. So really understanding the before, uh, during and after pictures. So, you know, what was going on in your business when you decide to look for a solution like my client's solution? Um, what about that solution caused you to sign up? What caused you to almost hesitate? Um, why did you end up paying for it? What do you find most valuable? What are you able to do now, et cetera, et cetera. So really understanding in their own words, that whole journey from realizing they have a problem, articulating that problem, looking for a solution, evaluating solutions, choosing a solution, paying for a solution and maybe even um, referring the solution to other people, just understanding what's going on all along the way. Journey. Exactly. And what you find when you do that is exactly what we started talking about, which was sure you're going to, if you've positioned yourself as this generic product and you've been lucky enough to have some customers, you're going to have most, you're, you're going to be able to find a segment usually anyways, that is absolutely in love with the product and you're going to notice that you have other segments that just churn because you sort of oversold them and it was vague. And so they signed up out of curiosity in the beginning, once they actually logged in the product and started using it, if they even got that far, 
um, they realize it's, it's not really made for them specifically. And so one of my first steps would be to find out who that segment is that loves the product and then message directly to them unapologetically, like, and, and it's hard. A lot of clients will push back, but as, yeah. as close as I can get to saying like, okay, forget the, forget all these other people. Let's really just hone in on these, on this one group. Um, and so like an example of that recently was a small company called, uh, Tom's planner that I did some work for. And you know, what we found when I spoke to customers is the driving force that caused them to reach out for, to a, to a tool like Tom's planner, which is like, like project planning for, uh, like small companies, Gantt charts and things like that. Um, they outgrew spreadsheets. It it was becoming impossible to keep up with their project planning and spreadsheets, too many people, too many moving pieces. But when they looked up market to things like MS project, it was too expensive. It came with like a 500 plus page user manual. They don't have time for something like that. And no one in their company is going to adopt it. So they're looking for something in the middle. And so that's what we said. We said, forget these people who are comparing Tom's planner to similar other products. Let's focus on these people who are outgrowing spreadsheets, but don't want to use something like MS project yet. And when we did that, what we found is people were just converting sort of right off the hop when they would land on the homepage, because it was just so clear that we were targeting exactly them, these people in the middle, everybody else. Um, so that would just be like one recent example of, of, uh, of how you can really hone in on a group and actually get more signups despite turning people away. Absolutely. I think it's one of those things like a lot of first time founders, it it's almost feels like counterintuitive to them or alien, like trying to narrow down and limit the market size because mm-hmm. you're trying to think like, how big can this get? Like, who are we going after? But really, you're actually doing yourself a disservice by speaking to everyone and building for everyone. You end up building nothing uh, for everyone. Exactly. And, and you're not stuck. Like you can, you can start off with something very specific and then branch out as it makes sense. Um, yeah. But yeah, when you're small and, and you just really need to nail a, a specific segment, like just, just focus and then branch out if, if, if you even need to. You might be surprised how big of a business you can build by focusing. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that so like first step then. Uh, and in terms of like uh, going a little step uh, deeper in terms of trying to figure out what that segment looks like and who the segment is. So you mentioned jobs to be done um, and it's your framework to sort of run through uh, and understand like the user journey uh, in detail. Yeah. But how does someone go about really identifying that first segment that they should be going after? Uh, and obviously I think it will differ depending on how far along a company is, but you're typically working with earlier stage startups. So um, what, what is the typical process in really like figuring out who that first segment looks like? Yeah. Yeah. So first I'll say one of the things that I don't do basically, because for one, it's not within my skill set right now. And two, like you said, I'm usually working with companies who aren't like Salesforce, for example, um, and so they don't even have the level of sophistication required to make it happen. And that is, there are people out there who, who can do some really amazing things with big data and cohort analysis and coming up with with segments that way, but the people who uh, are converting and really enjoying a product. So assuming that is out of the way, it really does come down to a lot of qualitative uh, research. So those interviews and the surveys that I was talking about and really understand that journey. And what you'll find is, uh, this is actually kind of funny, but when you, when you send a lengthy survey to your customers, just seeing who even takes the time to respond is going to tell you a lot about who your ideal customer is. Because what I'll find is, if I'm working with a client who has a product that is just not even adding value, I'm not even going to get responses because nobody is loving the product enough or even hating the product enough to respond. They're just indifferent. If I'm dealing with a client who has a product where certain somebody really loves it and certain somebody is really just feeling ripped off, I'm going to get responses 
from those two groups. And so what I'll often find is, you know, I'll send a survey out, it'll go to however many people, 1,500, 2,000 customers, um, and then I'll get some responses and the team will be able to tell me the, the spread of their, their customer base. You know, like we have, uh, you know, 25% are SMB, 50% are medium size. We have a, a fraction that are enterprise, but then I'm, I'm going to get like all of my responses from, um, SaaS companies who are like SMB and they're just raving fans of it. And then we're going to, I'm going to get a few responses from some really pissed off people, uh, up the chain, for example. And so just who responds is going to tell me a lot. And then it comes down to the answers, sort of like what I was saying with Thomas Planner. Uh, it wasn't, you know, an epiphany moment to position Thomas Planner as this thing between spreadsheets and MS project. It was literally what the customer was telling me far too often to be uh, a coincidence. Um, just <laughs> like a huge percentage of the customers were saying this is this was the problem that they were experiencing. Um, this is what they were looking for. And um, they found it in Tom's planner. Uh, I, I'm not sure, does that fully answer your question? Or did you want to go even a yeah, little bit deeper? No, no, I that? think that's great. I think I like, I like the, the proxy as well. Like, and it makes total sense is that if people care enough about the product, they're actually going to give uh, responses and they're going to respond to the survey. If mm -hmm. uh, you're not getting responses to your surveys, you know, you're in a lot more trouble than you think because uh, nobody really cares enough to uh, give you the time uh, to give feedback. So, Exactly. I used to be discouraged by that, but now I use it as a, as a sign as, as to where to look. And just what does that conversation go like then with the customer afterwards? I'm fortunate in that I've gotten better at sort of sussing out when somebody is trying to get my services because their product isn't any good. And they think that by hiring a copywriter, we can trick people into buying it. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, especially like in the first year or two, when I started this business, I wasn't able to see that. So obviously, and then I would figure it out when I was in the middle of a project and typically I'd be quite blunt about it. Um, I would say, you know, we can proceed and, and do our best with the information that we have. But my, my, my feeling is that this is probably a product problem that is not going to be solved by better words better copy. <laughs> but uh yeah these days these days you know i've like you said when you mentioned some of those uh the logos like hot jars and cisco and, and hubspot i'm usually de dealing with companies who have a solid product that's not really the problem it's uh it's about positioning and and messaging that uh that we need to solve yeah and it's definitely like a key point as well is like you can't really trick people into using your product because if they copy on the page, like they're only going to figure it out uh, within a matter of minutes, maybe hours or days, but eventually they'll realize that they were tricked and uh, you're going to get a lot of uh, angry customers and a lot of churn as a result. So. And they'll be angry and respond to your survey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, the next thing then, so you figured out sort of this uh, segment now and you've managed to have a chat with the customers and convince them, okay, let's double down and focus on this segment. Um, what is your next step in the process like then? Like what is the messaging strategy? Like what are you going about first? Yeah, so one of the things that I really want to understand is the typical stage of awareness. So when this ideal segment is looking for my client's product or, or, or a solution like it, uh, like what is it exactly that they're experiencing? Are they fully aware of the problem and the costs associated with it and all the alternatives? and my client's solution and they just want to sort of check a few boxes before they sign up or are they, and this is, this is the case when you're dealing with something a little bit more cutting edge, like something new in artificial intelligence, for example, they're aware that they have this problem and they're not even 
aware of the fact that, that artificial intelligence um, has proposed has a proposed solution for it. And so you really need to get back to um, articulating the problem for them, showing that you know artificial intelligence is uh, a possible solution for it. And then there's going to be a whole bunch of objections, obviously, that you need to and hesitations that you need to uh, to cover off because they're just so unfamiliar with the space and they don't necessarily trust it yet. So I really want to understand that that stage of awareness, what they're coming to the website with. And at that point, I want to meet them where they are. So if they are problem aware, they don't really know about the alternatives yet. I'm not going to talk about the alternatives. I'm going to make sure that I meet them where they are, which is the problem. So I'll echo the problem back and I'll quickly show them that my client's uh, product is the solution that they're looking for if they are indeed the right person for my client. And to do that, it's a lot of, like I said before, voice of customer research. So understanding um, people who have already made this journey, how they talk about the product, what they love about it, and making sure that I emphasize those things while de-emphasizing some of the things that uh, my client might think are amazing about the product, but their ideal customer doesn't even really think about, especially when they're going through this process of, of, uh, of signing up. Um, so it's really just taking them from their current stage of awareness, moving them through, making sure that I uh, address any of their objections and their hesitations, uh, any questions they might have about the product and the solution, and backing everything up that I can anyways with social proof. And when I say social proof, I don't mean in the way that most people are doing it, which is they'll have like a little carousel at the bottom with a whole bunch of testimonials that are high level and random. I mean contextual testimonials. So if I make claim like Hotjar does X, if I can have uh, a testimonial from somebody saying that it does exactly what I just said it does, um, that's good in a couple of ways. For one, it's going to show that uh, uh, that it's actually possible. You can achieve these things. And two, over time, when I keep doing that, it's going to create some trust between me and the prospect because they're going to see that whenever I make a claim, I have a tendency to back it up with, uh, with some impartial evidence. So um, yeah, it's really just taking them through that journey on the page from stage of awareness to everything they need to know in order to take the next step. Yeah. There's a lot there as well to unpack. <laughs> yes. We <laughs> could probably um, do a podcast on each piece. Yeah. So, uh, what, what are like one of the interesting things you said now as well, and I think it's something that's very often overlooked is, uh, founders typically have their own cognitive biases and they have their own ways of thinking about using their product and what the special features are. And I love that you mentioned that like what you and what the customers are actually saying are the special features that you want to focus on. Uh, cause more often than not as well, like as your product evolves and you start getting closer to product market fit, it's really the market that's really dictating like what's needed and uh, what are the key areas and key problems that they're having. Um, mm -hmm. how, how does that typically go then as well? Like I'm pretty sure like you've had kickback many times as well, uh, speaking to customers and really like trying to convince them that this is actually the, the direction to go. Uh, Cause it's not always easy when like a founder has a vision in his mind and then um, you actually coming back with something totally different thing. But wait a minute, like you may think it's these two, three things, but actually it's mm -hmm. X, Y, or Z. Yeah. So that's funny because that's sort of another litmus test for me. So I mentioned before the survey, if no one's responding, then I kind of have an idea that I'm dealing with a uh, dud of a, pro of a product. Um, I've also gotten a lot better at figuring out um, which leaders are actually open to change and which leaders are looking to bring somebody in just to uh, confirm their, their beliefs that they hold already. And what I find is most of the leaders that we would respect, so if you follow anything marketing online, you probably have heard of Joe Chernov, who was uh, like a HubSpot marketing executive, and I think now he's at Pendo. Um, 
he even said in a testimonial on my website, he mentioned it specifically, the curse of knowledge. And I find the best leaders are fully aware. They are so immersed in their space and in their product. And it is this immersion that allows them to do their job extremely well. But it's also this immersion that makes it very difficult for them to um, become impartial and, and create messaging and positioning that really resonates with, with, uh, with the customer. So yeah, the best leaders, I don't really get much pushback because they came to me with this problem that I have this curse of knowledge. I can't get outside of my own head. I need somebody on the outside who understands SaaS, understands the space, but isn't a hundred percent all in on this space and can sort of act as like a conduit between the market, the customers and, and my product and my vision. Um, and it's not to say that, you know, the leader's vision means nothing. It comes a good leader anyways, it comes from a, a lot of experience in the field. And so there's something to it almost always. Uh, but then you've got to, you've got to add that customer piece and, and they're usually self-aware enough to realize that they're not going to allow that customer's voice to be, to be loud enough in the process. Absolutely. And uh, I think this is one of those cases makes a lot of sense bringing somebody from outside. Cause like you say, on a day to day, you're so in the problem, you're so focused. Uh, you don't really take your head to take a step back and have a fresh look at things. And it's, it's very, very difficult to do. Like uh, even like the best marketers in the world would struggle uh, to do it. Correctly. It is. Yeah. I actually experienced it myself. And that's one of the reasons that I did decide to go out on my own is I enjoyed uh, copywriting and messaging and all of that. But um, I always felt like I was doing a terrible job when I was at the startup because I was just so into the space. Uh, yeah. It was really hard to get away from it. So yeah, I, I knew that if I'm, if I'm struggling, then there's got to be a lot of other people out there struggling too to come up with their own messaging. For sure. Cool. So uh, we've got to this point there now. We've got a segment. We've understand sort of like key messaging that we want to come up with and uh, points. And you chatted about as well, different like the stages of awareness. And I think that's, Another area as well that's often like uh, severely uh, overlooked um, mm -hmm. is really having a clear understanding of sort of what stage uh, of awareness are you within the market and where are your typical customers coming from. So what are some of the interesting things you see uh, working with customers and trying to understand uh, the different stages? So like you mentioned AI being one and I can see this being a different problem for different stages of company and different sort of mm -hmm. maturity of technologies as well. Um, so like what are some of the common best practices you see and maybe some of the mistakes you see startups doing when it comes to sort of understanding who their customers are and which stage uh, they're at? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really not that difficult to find out the stage of awareness. It's just most companies don't think to even ask. And um, this... This goes back to a much bigger problem uh, that I find in SaaS especially, and that is that there is a lot of copycatting. And so the reason people get stage awareness wrong is they don't think about it. Instead, they just look at their competitors or worse, they look at people who have already been in the space for a really long time and they just copy them and their stage of awareness and they end up with vague messaging because uh, those companies are able to get away, get away with it because the, the stage of awareness for their prospect is they know they have the problem and they know that this is probably the solution for them and they just need to check a few boxes. Whereas a startup, uh, especially if you're like really new and especially if you're in a, a fairly new space, uh, you know, you can't just, you can't just jump in with some Apple like vague and aspirational messaging. You need to get very specific about the problem. You need to articulate the problem to show that you really understand it in detail. And then you need to show that you have the solution um, again, not in a vague way, but by, sort of matching it back, tracing it back to 
the, the different problem points that you've identified and articulated. And again, with the social proof, just showing that you actually have that solution. And then of course, you know, when you get further up market, um, you know, if you're MailChimp, you could probably just say like, we do, we do marketing. I don't think they're even email software anymore. They've, they've branched out from that. So you probably just say, you know, we're marketing software and that's fine. Everybody knows who MailChimp is. You know, you don't, you don't have to uh, articulate the problem that, uh, that you're solving if you're MailChimp, but that's just not the case when you're a nobody and no one's heard of you. You've got to stand out. You've got to be specific and uh, you've got to be focused on somebody specific as well. Um, I'm not sure. Does that, does that answer your question? Absolutely. And I think as well, like being specific in early stage is critical. Uh, like, like you mentioned, the point of MailChimp and just saying we're marketing software is enough because at this stage, everybody knows who they are. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, at different stages of the company, you can start to shift towards different types of messaging. So uh, early stage, you really want to be specific, uh, like a good description of what the product is, what the problem is and how your problem solves it. And as mm-hmm. it evolves over time, you can slowly start to shift to sort of more value uh, driven messaging and really focusing on sort of uh, the outcome as opposed to being as descriptive as possible. Uh, so I like that you mentioned as well, like it's important yeah, and to it, understand the level of maturity of the company as well. Yeah. A recent example of that as well was uh, I was speaking to Jane Portman, who's one of the founders of UI breakfast and, or not. So, well, yeah, UI breakfast, but they also do use userless.io, which is their, their SaaS product, which is, I, I guess you could call it like an intercom competitor, but it's, it's sort of stripped down. It's meant for the startup. It's a lot simpler and a lot more affordable. Um, and so for them, I think that when they actually started, their messaging was a little bit more broad. So they just looked like they were going to be another intercom. And after speaking to them a little bit, they realized that it's actually a lot smarter for them to just call out exactly what they are in the headline and subheadline. And if you take a look at it now, they specifically call out intercom and they say like, we are, you know, the, the simpler, easier to use, um, less expensive uh, alternative to intercom because that's what they found their customers, their ideal customer anyways, really was looking for. They knew about intercom. They may have, may have tried it. It's just too much product, too much cost for them at this time. They need something simpler. And that's, that's where userless.io comes in. So that's like another example of a startup doing a really good job of focusing in, in three years from now, if they're still around doing really well, they're probably going to drop that intercom piece Absolutely. because they will have grown from that. But for right now to capture the customers they need to do really well for the next year or two, that's the right position for them. For sure. It's interesting you say that because I actually noticed that on a Facebook group on SaaS Growth Hacks, I think it's called. And somebody mm-hmm. actually asked for alternatives to Mixpanel. Uh, mm-hmm. or actually, the question was like, does anyone have a cheap alternative to Mixpanel? Uh, right. And literally user list, I think, uh, was voted a couple of times and had many likes on it. So this definitely yeah, yeah. resonates as well within the yep. market, at least how it's positioned. Um, and I think maybe that's another thing to understand as well, like with positioning, maybe we can talk through this a little bit as well, is that a lot of times like uh, founders in early stage will come up with a positioning for their product and say, this is what we are, this is what we do. Um, but really, it's like not you who sets the position, it's the market that sets the position. Um, so when you're thinking about going through like a positioning exercise specifically for product, like what are some of the stages and the steps that you'd want to take and make sure that you have, and maybe some of the key questions you're going to want to be pulling out when you're doing your user research? Yeah. So when we're doing something like, say we've identified the segment that really, really loves the product. Um, at that point, I really want to understand exactly what it is that they're loving about the product, because that's going to very much determine the positioning. I'm not sure Have you had April Dunford on the show before. Yes, we have had April. You have. So definitely go back and listen to that because I, 
without listening to it, I can tell you it's probably an amazing deep dive on positioning SaaS product. But uh, absolutely, you can grab her book. Grab her book as well. It's it's amazing and very practical. But uh, yeah, it's it's really just going through the the stages of understanding. You know, we've got the set of features. We've got the set of capabilities. How do our ideal customers think of us? Who are they? You know, actually comparing us to? That's the other thing. Like. Um, if I were to speak to the founder of Tom's planner, that example I used before, he would probably be focused on the competitors who are building products very similar to his. But the thing is, you know, his prospects haven't even heard of those companies because they're also small companies. Um, they're thinking about the, the things everybody knows, spreadsheets and like the MS projects of the world. Um, so who, who are we actually being compared about? And when we're talking about each of these features and each of these capabilities, which ones do they value the most? Which ones make us different and special uh, compared to, again, the people they're actually comparing you to and not your most similar uh, competitors out there? And um, I mean, it can get, it gets lengthy and it's, it's messy spreadsheets. It's got um, multiple columns showing, you know, what it is that everybody likes about the product, what, what they don't like about it for each feature, each capability. Um, but yeah, it's really, it's, it's just a systematic breakdown of the, of the product in a spreadsheet or a series of spreadsheets that, uh, that goes into the details about what a specific segment is saying about it, liking about it, um, what causes them to hesitate it. about using it, et cetera. Yeah. So again, it's, it's, it's pulling, it's pulling from the customer. It's not yeah. self-driven. It's not an exercise where I would sit down with a, a group of marketers and ask them all these questions. Um, I might to get a starting point, but uh, really, you, you got to get on the horn with with customers and and see how they're actually talking about it. And when you say with customers, like how many would you be looking to speak to in an exercise like this? What would be a good number to get like a feel for uh, positioning? Uh, I I tend to find that you start to hear a lot of the same things after you've spoken to like ten to fifteen people. Um, if I can get on call with more than that, I will happily do it. Uh, but 10 to 15 people backed by a survey with say, you know, 50 to 150 responses, you're going to see a lot of patterns emerging, uh, at that point and as, as the, as the copywriter, as the consultant, you have to be careful not to introduce your own biases in that, uh, yeah. if you come into the project with certain ideas of what's going to resonate, you're going to start to see it <laughs> in the data itself. And so it's really important to start tabulating, you know, how many times, uh, people are saying things. Otherwise you're just going to remember what you want to remember, uh, as you, as you go through the data. Absolutely. Uh, I think one thing as well, like we've been chatting now for maybe half an hour and the process we've been really discussing is all about like really trying to understand your customers deeply, trying to understand the problem they're trying to achieve. And then how do you position and how do you like uh, write copy for your site or whether it's messaging. So your customers Mm -hmm. have a clear picture of what your product is. And I know like we're talking about this now in the context of working with customers and uh, your customers, for example, and trying to help them with this. But ideally, like for maybe even early stage founders before you've even built a product, this would probably be one of the best processes that you could ever take uh, before even writing a line of code, before even starting to work on a product is really getting this locked down and have a clear understanding of like who you're going after, uh, being very, very specific and actually being able to come out of it at the end of it with something that's almost like a blueprint of what you need to be building and how you can go about uh, shaping your company. Uh, I am. Yeah. I'm so glad that you actually said that because one of the most painful uh, parts of, of this business that I've noticed is I will get messages sometimes and it usually comes at odd hours in the night uh, via drift um, from, from new founders who have put like tens, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars into a product uh, that is in stealth mode, uh, you know, stealth mode. Uh, they don't want to tell anybody about it, including 
prospective customers until it's made. And so they've created a product, they introduce it to people and nobody loves it. And then they think they need better messaging in order to sell it. And I have to break it to them that they should have been speaking to people all along because what they've done is they've built something that nobody wants. So yeah, if you're a, if you're a new startup and you're in stealth mode, strongly consider getting out of stealth mode (laughs) and and talking to people (laughs) and talking about it. Absolutely. Cool. So uh, let's uh, take it now uh, a notch up as well. So you moving forward now, we figured out positioning, we figured out our segments, we started writing copy for them. Uh, what are some of the things like uh, you see early stage startups or at least the startups coming to looking for an interest in? What are some of the things that you wish they would be looking into and wish they would be thinking more about when it comes to copy and uh, the work you do? Sure. Yeah. So my typical customer isn't necessarily like a new founder that has just started a company. They've usually been in business for a little bit. They've probably raised a round or two of funding. Um, and they're really just starting to grow up now. They've, they're no longer the scrappy little startup. They, they need to start to think strategically about things. And what will almost always be the case is despite having some really good customers by the time they reach out to me, they are almost 100% focused on acquisition. So uh, they just want more leads. They just want more customers. They're not really thinking about how to hang on to the customers that they have or to or how to upsell their current customers in a way that isn't self-serving necessarily. It's obviously good for the business, but it's really good for the customer too. They're going to get a whole lot more out of the product. Um, so that is my my biggest hang-up right now is and I'm trying more and more to uh, to turn people towards reducing churn because I, I just think it's like the most powerful lever that you can for, for pull. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, once we, once we get churn taken care of, or I mean, it's never taken care of, but once we improve it, um, once we start getting those leads in the sales and they actually stick around, they're all worth so much more. So it just makes sense, right, to, uh, to plug all those holes in the bucket. So yeah, it's almost all acquisition work that people are coming to me for I get the odd person who is thinking about churn. Um, that would be one thing that I'd love to see uh, shift, yeah. shift in the market. Yeah. You mentioned uh, upsell and uh, like often people think of it as self-serving, but it's not actually like maybe you want to walk us through that and how you think about it. Yeah, I can use a specific example and it may also, because as far as I know, it hasn't been implemented. So it also kind of speaks to the fact that uh, it's really easy right now for companies to just dismiss the, this idea of reducing churn and they'll, they'll hear a good idea and then they'll, they'll let it go. So a previous client of mine, uh, they do like proposal software and payments for professional service based businesses. Um, and they're doing, they do really well. And one of the things that changes as you move up in the tiers is the uh, percentage of the bill uh, that, the, that, that, you, that you send somebody if paid by credit card, um, it goes down as you go higher up in tiers. So I think it's like 2.9% of the fee will go to my client on the lowest tier in the next tier. I can't remember exactly. But what ends up happening is if a client on the, if a customer on the lowest tier routinely charges $5,000 or more to their clients via credit card, which is very common in professional services, um, they would actually make up the difference in pricing tiers between their, their current basic tier and the next tier up um, just, by, just by the savings that they would get on, on the, the credit card percentage. And so really what you should be doing is every customer that you see who is routinely charging $5,000, you should be hitting them with an email or in-app message or even a phone call that says, hey, 
you're already doing $5,000 or more. If you move up to this next tier where you're going to get all these other helpful features, more support, um, lots of different capabilities that I know you'd benefit from, it, you're, going to, you're going to make that money back anyways just in the savings. It's literally going to cost you nothing extra at the end of the day if you keep doing $5,000 or more in sales. And in fact, if you do significantly more than $5,000 in sales, you're actually going to save money by moving up to this next tier um, just based on the savings. Um, so that would be like some low hanging fruit in my opinion. And as far as I know, it has not been implemented, but if something that were that low hanging, uh, were on the acquisition side, um, all, everybody would be all over it. It would, it'd be very exciting for everybody. Yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, it's not, it's not trying to force people in tiers they don't belong in, but if there's a case, if you see them using the product in such a way that, uh, is a disservice to them and they're doing it because they want to stay on their current plan. See if you can find a way uh, to show them that the next the next tier up actually makes perfectly good sense. Don't leave it to the customer to decide uh, that that it's time to upgrade. Um, just make sure that they're getting the best form of the product for their needs. Yeah, I think I mean this is it sounds easy at the surface, but I think also on the flip side, it's like a lot of times it's really finding what that additional value is that's going to drive them to upgrade and uh, really trying to understand what are some of those drivers that you should be introducing. Cause like now we're jumping into a little bit of pricing and packaging, but I think mm -hmm. positioning does have a role to play in pricing and packaging as well. Um, and when it comes to thinking about sort of how do you package your product so you can have these drivers that lead to upsell paths and be able to get convert customers in, into new and different packages, like, what are some of the things that you're doing with companies there to try and understand, okay, like what are some of these key drivers and like how can we make sure that we're writing copy, that we're taking them on a journey, that it's not really this only self-serving component, but it really does add additional value to our customers and to ensure that they stick around maybe longer. Yeah, so it's, uh, as many of the answers have been, this is a, it's a boring answer in that you're talking to the customers. So if I say I have three tiers and I have, uh, people in the middle tier, I would just reach out. I would be speaking to those people specifically, whether on the phone or uh, via surveys to see what it is that they're loving about the product. Um, and what's going to happen is there's going to say be five or, or 10 features and capabilities that they have access to that people in the basic plan don't have access to. Um, and of those, there's going to be two or three probably that really, really stand out. And so that's going to be at the, uh, the heart of the messaging, the messaging that I use, uh, when, when I'm reaching out to people on the, on the basic plan, for example. And I mean, you can get even more specific depending on volume and you can try to speak to people <clears throat> who have just made the switch. So if they were on the basic plan and now they're on the, the middle tier, um, you know, why, why, why did they, why did they make that switch? Assuming it's not something that's, uh, forced based on usage, but based on, yeah. Um, you know, features and capabilities that they get access to. So uh, uh, like there's, I'm sure there's all types of um, complicated ways to figure this out. But for most companies, especially if you're not like a Salesforce with a, with a giant uh, like data analytics team, um, then yeah, it's, it's just speaking, speaking to people and figuring out what they love about you and uh, why they're wanting to pay more. It's, uh, it Biggest sounds status. difficult. Yeah. And it is difficult, I guess, if you are, in the company because you're just going to bring your own ideas of why people would want to move up. But uh, yeah, you'll often find it's, it's something. And it's a expecting. very unfortunate thing, but it's also one of the things that's often deprioritized is speaking to customers, but it's actually the most valuable thing you can do as a company. Yes. And uh, it's just, 
Um, we were talking about this a little bit but, uh, before we got started, but uh, it's a big problem that you guys experience at Hotjar and that I experience as well. And that is this whole idea of doing things on a, on a per project basis. So um, yeah, like Louis released that article that you could probably link below uh, that talks about some of the reasons people turn from Hotjar. And one of those yeah. reasons is that people, you know, they, they're going to do a website overhaul. They want to throw Hotjar up on it for a month or two. And then and their, their project is done as far as they're concerned. And I run into that problem too. It's people have had the same website since 2015. It no longer resonates. They want to scrap it and start all over, which is risky and expensive. And it would have been smarter is if they were using something to uh, not only track the way people are, are interacting on their website, so something like Hotjar, but constantly talking to their customers and surveying customers all through the years and making smaller data-driven decisions where in 2019, they would end up with a website that's unrecognizable to 2015, to their 2015 self, but it would not be due to like one drastic change. It's by moving with the, the customer and the market along the way. Yeah. So um, yeah, you guys run into it. I run into it and it's not a problem with your product and it's not a problem with my service. It's a problem with the way, uh, people are thinking about these things still in SaaS. They're just thinking about it as set it and forget it and uh, and then deal with it when, you know, the numbers plummet to the point that your investors are screaming at you because you're not making your numbers anymore. Um, yeah. That's just not the right way to do it. And it's just not the way the market is evolving as well. Like it's not the right way to do it. And it's like we, we're living in a constantly evolving market. And like I like this concept and I think it might have been Heat and Shah that talked about it, but product market fit is a moving target. And it's not the static thing where you either have it or you don't. It's something that you're constantly working towards and you're constantly mm -hmm. always trying to reach it. You might have degrees of product market fit uh, and the scale can slide over time, but it's this constantly moving uh, scale that you need to be sort of adapting to. And by just having this project-based mindset when it comes to customer research, when it comes to uh, working on your websites and overhauls, like things like overhauls or revamps, like those should be like expelled from any dictionary, like any SaaS business. It really should be, understanding the customer constantly and evolving with that market as you go along. I love you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a place that I see that, especially because of the startup that I was in before. So I kind of know this space a bit more is like the online form space. So if you look at online forms, most of their, their messaging and their websites, they have not even reacted to the fact that there is something like drift in town now. <laughs> so yeah. they're 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 and they will, they will, they're going to call me probably in a year or two when um, everybody thinks online forms are dead and they're going to ask me to fix that problem. But really they should have been, uh, testing like new angles <laughs> as soon as drift really hit the market and, and disrupted it. Um, but unfortunately it's just not the way most companies think they, they just react when it's a little too late. Yeah. It's difficult though as well. I think once you get to sort of a stage of growth in your company and you're on this track, uh, you tend to become very reactive. Uh, and then that's also why like there's so much opportunity for growth for new startups is because really you don't have that technical debt. You don't have that legacy code that you're dealing with. You don't have that mindset and uh, sort of focus of a company and you can really come in with fresh eyes. Yeah, uh, and that's, yeah. I guess, what uh, makes the market a competitive and why you always need to be on your toes. The Innovator's Dilemma is a great book to read on that for anyone yep. who hasn't read it. Excellent. Cool. So uh, we're running a little bit up on time. I have one more question for you for today. Sure. Uh, and this is a question I ask everybody. And it's, uh, I want to throw you a hypothetical scenario. So let's pretend now you've been offered a new job and you've decided to join. And uh, the CEO has come to you and said, uh, look, uh, Josh, we're having a bit of problem with churn and retention. Our numbers are not great. And we really need to turn things around. Uh, he's given you three months uh, or she's given you three months to try and figure things out. Like, 
what are some of the first things you would do in those first three months to try to turn things around? And I guess you're going to say starting with speak to customers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. So what I would uh, love to say is that I would be getting into like the nitty gritty and being like, well, let's evaluate which tools we're using and things like that. But the reality is, um, at least in the market that I operate in, which is SaaS, um, most most people are so far behind that they're not even getting the basics done yet. So if I have three months to make a difference, there's um, first of all, as we discussed before, churn is a huge problem. We're not going to solve the whole thing in three months. It's ongoing and it's it touches all pieces of the business. But what I will look for is that one really sore spot. So it might be that uh, people are coming to the website, but they're not signing up for a free trial. Okay. Um, if that's the biggest, if that's the biggest drop off, like why, like, why is that happening? And that's where I would use something like, like a hot jar and Google analytics and speaking to customers, like we had said, and surveys to figure out, um, you know, where is this disconnect between the website and our positioning and our messaging and the people are coming to the website, they should be signing up because the product is good. I'm going to assume in this whole thing that the product is, is good because if it's not, um, I, I can't help you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if the product is good and people aren't signing up for the free trial, you know, where is that drop off? And then I would try to close that gap and, and really nail the position, the positioning and the messaging using the method, methods that we've spoken about uh, throughout. Otherwise they might be that they sign up, but they are not actually using the product in a meaningful way. And so, um, because we're both familiar with Hotjar, I'll use an example. And this is not, uh, this is not specific to Hotjar, but any company who needs people to install a snippet in order to, uh, in order to get real use out of the product, there's going to be a sticking point there. And so I'm going to dedicate three months to figuring out how I can get more and more people to install the snippet because, um, the reality, you know, before the snippet is bleak, it's, it's, uh, if we're, if we're using hot jars, an example, it's, it's guessing what's going to work on the website. It's guessing how people are using your website and your product. Um, and that's, if, if you're a marketer, you're, you're actually not even doing your job if, if you're just guessing all the time. Um, and then after you get the snippet, you just insert the snippet and then it's kind of like magic. It's like, wow, I'm running focus groups with hundreds of people and it's not costing me tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to do so. So I would want to, uh, really focus on on helping people understand their bleak current reality, the almost magical future, and really minimize uh, the obstacle that's in the way, which is inserting the snippet. First of all, show them that it's not hard, it's not invasive, it's not dangerous to their website, and also giving them all the resources they need to make sure that they're saying the right things to the right people to make it happen. Um, that's probably where I'm going to see the biggest drop off. Otherwise, if it's they do all that stuff and they still don't pay. It's, it's probably that they're stuck on a free plan and uh, we're not doing a good enough job of showing them why it's actually worth it to upgrade. And so people will just make the, the free plan work for as long as possible. Um, so yeah, I would, I would look for that. If I have three months, I'm looking for that, that key point of drop off, that really expensive point of drop off. And I would just be throwing all my resources at it to make sure that I can understand, uh, why people are dropping off and just what, what can I do to, to remove the obstacle? Cause I know at the end of the day, like at the end of this process, there's this amazing product that they're going to love. There's just some certain obstacles that they either don't think are worth overcoming because we haven't done a good enough job of, of communicating their, their future self and helping them imagine it, yeah. or we're not giving them the resources they need to actually, you know, overcome it because they don't know how they're not the person to do it. They need to get somebody else involved. 
So I think as well, what you've said as well, like from a, if you're thinking about user churn uh, or like specific logo churn, like number of actual users using the product makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense uh, to really sort of focus on those bigger drop off points because they're coming in and you're losing them there. And if that's what you're considering churn, it is an issue. The other side of it, flipping the coin there is when you're thinking about customer churn, sometimes it makes a lot more sense to actually work your way backwards. So um, what does success look like for these most successful users? And they're really saying, okay, what is the step prior to success? Uh, what does that drop-off point look like? Like how can we work to optimize that drop and then work your way uh, up the funnel uh, as opposed to sort of as you started with uh, like from a, a user perspective, looking at the mm-hmm. website, looking at like the script installation, looking at the next stage. Uh, yeah. So I think definitely like it's, it all depends on sort of which area and which uh, type of trend you're really trying to tackle. For sure. Yes, definitely. And just by the nature of my business, it tends to be uh, like the free trial, free trial to paid and sometimes paid to the upsell, but it's really those earlier pieces. And I I think that's just, that's just the nature of, of SaaS right now. SaaS businesses are struggling to get people to take that, those early steps. Um, Once, once, once they see the product, if the product is good, it's not as hard to keep them on. Um, at that point, there's certain, certainly things you can do. You can continue to, uh, communicate the value, like the new things that you're releasing and, and how it's going to make their business better, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's those early pieces that companies are really struggling with right now. And it's like you said earlier though, as well, it's like companies still maybe don't have the maturity of understanding yet of like how powerful retention can really be and, uh, how in sort of like a growth lever, like really focusing on that as opposed to more conversions and driving people from free to paid um, can be for the business, but yeah, it's coming. uh, And I'm glad you're doing this podcast because I think it's, it's going to help (laughs) Uh, just people getting to be, people just need to think about it more. And it's, I think it's slowly bubbling to the top. Absolutely. Well, Josh, it's been a pleasure having you today. I've really enjoyed this conversation before we go. Is there anything you want to leave the listeners with? Like how can they keep up with your work online? Uh, if they want to reach out to you, what should they do? Yeah. So, uh, you can definitely reach out to me at josh at swaycopy.com. Um, if you want to find me on social media, I'm not that active, but if I am active, it's usually on Twitter at sway copy. Um, but yeah, otherwise if you want to reach out, I mean, always happy to talk about acquisition, but tackling it before it becomes a giant problem. Um, yeah, definitely reach out to me at my website, either via email or drift and uh, we can start the conversation there. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much. Uh, it's been great having you today, Josh, and I wish you best of luck going forward. Thank you. Bye, Andrew. Cheers. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.